Guys, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, however, if you are a part of Camp Redstone, that's, uh, I think it's kindergarten all the way through fourth or fifth grade. If uh, Parents, if you've already checked in your kids for Camp Redstone, uh, Miss Debbie, there's Gigi back there, and she's waiting on you. And so, yeah, go ahead. And so the kids of Camp Redstone, you can be dismissed there. Make sure that you see Gigi in the back. And uh, parents, we will safely walk our walk your kids uh, to class and uh, those types of things. And so while they're kind of getting situated, uh, thanks so much for your prayers. Uh, I spent 12 days in the wild wilderness, and so we took some uh, took uh, some guys into the wilderness, and we we were able to get in a little over 100 miles or so in eight days, which was quite the feat. It was awesome. Uh, but the, the tie into that is that uh, I took a bulletin, I took a worship guide into the woods with me and um, could be heard singing all over the high Sierra Nevadas. And so if there's a bad Facebook page of some guy squawking, right, um, not glorifying the Lord, that would be me. But uh, thanks for Will for picking out amazing songs and thank you for him for printing it out. You're able to kind of take that wherever you go. So what we said earlier is true that uh, we want you to take that bulletin, take that worship guide, and use it as a tool um, for, you know, for the week ahead because we really do think that uh, it will be beneficial to you. All right, so we're starting a new series. It's in the Gospel of Mark. If you know much about uh, the New Testament, uh, the Bible in general, it's, it's split into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The way the New Testament starts is what is traditionally called the Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The second of the Gospels is the Gospel of Mark, and it's 16 chapters, give or take. And we're going to take this year, or at least we're going to take two semesters, and we're going to teach through the Gospel of Mark. We'll take the first eight chapters this fall. We'll take a little bit of a break for Christmas and a couple of other things. In the spring, heading toward Easter, we'll finish up uh, the Gospel of Mark. So we're really, really, really excited about that. And, um, and so we want you if, you, if you don't have a daily routine as far as reading through the Scriptures and you just want a good place to start, um, the, the Gospel of Mark is a good place. Just kind of pick up and start pilfering through that, reading, digesting it, because that's where we're going to be on Sunday mornings. Um, all right, so let me tell you a story um, just to get started. Back in the day... Um, I was far from Jesus, a long way from Jesus, and I thought certain things were fun that I no longer think is fun. Okay, so let's just go ahead and preface it that I'm not endorsing this type of behavior, and so parents, if you need to kind of redo that disclaimer, just know that I'm not advocating these types of things. However, when I was far from Jesus and early on in my Christian walk, um, I thought the world was my trash can right? And so I just thought that it was okay to litter and to throw my trash wherever I was. I thought it was an inconvenience to walk something over to a trash can, especially if you were riding in a car, all right? And so one of my, you know, my favorite things to do is to eat something, like a little, you know, something, and, and just throw it out the window. And I would do it without any caution, any reserve whatsoever. I don't want my car trashy, you know? That's what, like, people pick up trash for, right? And so this was the type of logic, is I don't want to be inconvenienced. I'll inconvenience others, right? This is way back in the 90s. This is when compact discs were coming out, right? And so that was 
was a lot of fun to kind of wing those, right, and just see those things fly. That was fun. But because the compact disc was coming into you know, all the vogue and all the rage, what were we going to do with all these, like, cassette tapes, right? So I would, and this is true stories, I would grab the ribbon of the cassette tape and throw out the tape because it was weighted and just hold on to the ribbon like this just to watch it flap in the wind. This is what I would do. It was crazy. And just just throw it and just let somebody else. So I was driving down the road one day. This was post-Jesus, or not post-Jesus, but I, once I came to know Jesus and I was surrounding myself post-Jesus. I don't even know what that would chronologically. I don't even know where that is. Um, that's bad missiology. Anyway, so nonetheless, so um, I'm with better people who have higher standards for the world. And I'm driving with this girl, and I think I'm eating some kind of candy or something, and I'm eating them, and I roll down my crank, right? I crank down my window, and I just throw it out the window. And she was flabbergasted. I mean, she was just, what are you doing? Throwing my trash out the window. That's what I always do. And she stopped. I'm driving, kind of like scowl, you know, the, the thing that your wife gives you when something's wrong, like really, really wrong. And I'm driving. She says, pull over. Let's make out right now. This was not my girlfriend. We're just friends. Let's right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, it's wrong, isn't it? I was like, "Uh uh-huh. And she says, so is littering. (laughs) She wasn't smiling, though. She wasn't trying to be funny. She was really, really mad that I'm destroying God's earth, and she wanted to make a point. Well, to that day or to this day, I don't think I've thrown another thing outside the window. So much so is that, like, the banana peel, that's kind of like a, you know, that's kind of a gray area. But I'm just, I've got like this muscle, re- like everything stays in the car, people. Like even like uh, dental floss, I mean anything. I, everything stays in the car because I have been corrected. All right, that's the kind of the moral of the story is that on that faithful day when I was 19 or 20, I was corrected and I am a changed man. Litter free since 1999, right? So, I mean, that's the kind of thing. That's what, sorry, that just came out, not in the nose. Um, that's where we're at. We're litter-free since 1990. Uh, we want to set ourselves up. We want to set our hearts into, and like to activate our hearts to be corrected. That's what today is, and hopefully that's where we're going to be all semester. And so right now, I think you probably, we probably should just pause, because that was funny. Um, just pause and go, okay, Lord, am I willing to be? be corrected. No matter what kind of, what, however this thing fleshes itself out, am I willing to be corrected by your word and just how you have orchestrated the world? And I know that um, my stubborn heart rebels against that pretty hard and pushes back against that, but I think it's just good just to pause and say, all right, between you and Jesus— um, are you willing just to continue to go on the way that you've always gone? Or is there something in your heart, some stubbornness, some kind of selfishness, some kind of just propensity to do it your own way that, may need, that might need to be corrected? And if you're open to that, like truly open to be corrected, to kind of walk toward the things of God rather than the things that you think are important, I think it's good just to kind of make a note in your Bible and a margin on the worship guide in some kind of way 
in your heart, mind, prayer, whatever it is, and just say, Lord, you know, I'm open to that. I'm open to that kind of correction. This is not pressure tactics, all right? This is not a pyramid scheme. There's not going to be a, like a card to fill up out afterwards, all right, to tell us well, who, you know, who's willing to be corrected. This is between you and the Lord because of this context. Uh, we're going to walk through the Gospel of Mark together pretty methodically. Uh, uh, methodically, just sl- kind of just slowly trying to get some of the truths that are in this, in this book. Uh, it's weird to start in the very middle of the book, but as you see on the worship guide, we're going to start uh, in chapter 8. So if you've got your scriptures or if you've got your worship guide, I really would encourage us to kind of walk through this passage together. So this is the Word of God, Mark chapter 8. Am I willing to be corrected, Lord? And Jesus, this is verse 27 and following. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples a question. So he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? A pretty direct question. So what's the word on the street? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the, and others, one of the prophets. Verse 29 says, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? That's a little bit more direct, a little bit more personal. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, "Uh, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And then Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's who he is, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And that the Son of Man be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and after three days to rise again and he said this plainly and peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples jesus then he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man verse 34 And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will be saved. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. Peter was corrected. In a pretty outstanding and remarkable way, Peter was corrected. We've circled uh, this passage here in verse 33. And we've kind of made this kind of the central teaching of this entire uh, semester. All right. And so verse 33 says this, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. That's this moment of rebuke, this moment of correction for Peter's heart and for all of their hearts because he calls the crowd, he calls the disciples, and so therefore he's really pressing in because he's teaching them pretty plainly. And he says, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but but the things of man. 
The object of this teaching this entire semester is are we willing to reset our minds? And so this idea of resetting, of putting our minds on the things of God over the things of man. The problem with Peter is that he just had a half-truth. The problem with Peter is that he just did not have his mind correct. He had a, it was too self-absorbed, or he only had the traditions of man. He did not have the things of God, the things that were in focus. This semester, we really want our, our attention, our reset, our mind, to reset our mind to the things of God. The mind is very, very important to the scriptures. The mind, what happens up here, then filtrates into our heart and then filtrates into our actions. And so we know that all of our actions are derived from our our hearts that are first and foremost derived from our belief system or our minds. And so all throughout the scriptures, we see that this mind, this idea that our mind matters is a key point in scriptures. So if you don't believe me, let's just kind of read through a couple of these together so that you know for sure and kind of write these down and do some research is that the Bible says a lot about the mind. How about Romans 12, 2? All right, so you don't have to look these up. You can just write these up, but do some study this week. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, right? What did he tell Peter, right? Do not set your mind on the things of, or set your mind on the things of God, not on the things of man. So the same thing here in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's this idea that our minds need to be uh, renewed, that by the testing that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What What about Philippians 4? Listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which transpasses or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, what? Think about these things, right? Put your mind right. The things of God are very, very different from the things of man. And I believe, right, we need to be rebuked in the same way that Peter was rebuked, that our minds are wandering. And we need a few more brain teasers. We need a few more kind of mental exercises to get our shift off of the stuff that we deem important and to the things that Jesus deems important important. James 1.8 says this, he is a double-minded man, right? Unstable in all of his ways. We, we don't want to be that. Philippians, uh, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3, we've already read that. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. There's a theme here. There's a duality, right? There's something that is at stake. There is a fight And the fight is that we will be consumed by this world. Our thoughts will be just, I mean, we will be drug into the things that this world has to offer. And we will forget that God is the creator over over all things and he sent Jesus to redeem us. Our minds are a battlefield and we want you to win that battle. And so if your minds are wandering or if you need to renew your thinking, or if your, your, your imagination races to things that are just of this earth, we're trying to have you just reconsider that, that they need to be reset, to set your minds on the things above. And of course, the great, command, great commandment, this is Old Testament and New Testament, and he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind and strength. It really does matter where our minds go. I wonder if we would start to start looking and listening and being more attuned to our thought life for nine weeks. That's how long we'll be there. We'll be, we'll be pointing you to the things of God. We'll also be pointing you to the things of man. And what we'll be doing is we'll be elevating the things of God and saying this is worthwhile, your thoughts and your, and your thinking and your, and your devotion. But then we'll also look at the things of man and say, these things will not, these things will not do. So Mark chapter 8 goes on like this. So Jesus went on with his disciples, this is verse 27, through the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, and others said Elijah, and others, other prophets, those kinds of things. We know for sure we're a, we're a year, a year and a half, somewhere in the middle of Jesus' ministry. We know from this passage that you can walk with Jesus, you can be impressed by Jesus, you can see Jesus do all kinds of things and still have a major misconception or misunderstanding of who Jesus is. If you want to put an asterisk, if you want to kind of do a footnote, you're just like an another, another important dude in the Old Testament. That's who you are. And so Jesus was doing great in the ratings, right? He's going to do awesome in the midterm elections, right? The, he's polling well. The populace is great. Everything's going great for Jesus. And yet the underlying issue for, in this paragraph is that he's just another, or he's going to be another important dude in Israel's history. The very first verse in the Gospel of, Ma- of Mark, and you've got it in your worship guide, tells us that this is the beginning of, of the good news of Jesus Christ. The first and foremost misunderstanding of who Jesus is is putting Jesus in his proper place as Christ. He's not just another important guy. He's not just an important prophet who said an amazing things or set a precedent or lived a way that we all want to emulate. He's so much more than that. And so we know right off the base that there's a crowd like this, pretty religious like this, and can get Jesus wrong. There's a good chance that you grew up in church or you know a lot about Jesus. But the only time you use Jesus Christ is maybe in a curse word or in a slanderous kind of way because you don't know the implications of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, for him to be the Christ, for him to be the anointed one, and to call you up towards something. We too have all kinds of misconceptions about who Jesus is. What's important for us as we start any journey is to kind of understand the path. Look back at verse 27. And Jesus went on to the, uh, on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That means he's just kind of walking toward a place, right? And so um, Jesus went on is an important uh, Uh, The reason we kind of give you that worship guide is so that you can scar it up if you don't want to kind of write in your Bibles. And so the fact that he went on is an important concept. He went on to, uh, with his disciples, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way. I've got that phrase bracketed in my scriptures because on the way is a key notation or key understanding that this is really important. 
of the initial verbs in our passage on the way, this idea of just, just moving forward is the key concept in our passage. And it's going to continue to be repeated. Nine times in just the next four or five chapters alone, we're going to see this phrase, on the way, repeated over and over and over. In the same way, in verse 34, it says, if you come after me, and he continues to say, uh, take up your cross and follow me. This idea of being on the way matters. So the first and foremost point of understanding how to be corrected is you've got to understand who your leader is. And you have to understand that you are a follower, not a leader. So before we can get corrected, we get, have to understand who is leading the journey. And if it is not Jesus who is taking you on the way, but he is the one that is leading you to Caesarea Philippi or wherever, you will tend to lean toward the things of man, not the things of God. God elevates Jesus and says he is the most important thing. You need to follow him no matter where he goes. So this verb, to set out, right, or to be on the way, is really, really important to us. And the idea is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've all memorized that scripture, that Jesus is the way. We understand from even John the Baptist, he says that he is to prepare the way. So who's the leader in this relationship and who is the follower? So here's some things. Um, we know the end of the story. All right? We know exactly what happens. And we know that this path, right, this journey, this idea of setting out and going on the way is, is filled with all kinds of adjectives. That, um, that these disciples are first kind of internalizing for the first time. You see, these adjectives are, you know, this idea that you're going to walk in this way and that there's humiliation along the way, that there's self-denial along the way, that there's rejection along the way, that there's suffering along the way. And so it's not just a path. It's a path that's hard. And Jesus is our leader who blazed the trail. He is the way, right? He blazed the trail, but just know that that path is filled with suffering, and filled with pain, and filled with rejection, filled with humiliation. So before you follow Jesus, before you become a Christian, you need to understand the ground rules first and foremost. Yes, we're going to call you to something to follow after Jesus, but the path that he has picked, the path that he has asked you to follow on is nothing short of hard. And so on the way, you need to understand what you're getting yourself up for. Are you willing to be corrected? Maybe you think that Jesus is there to answer all of your prayers and all of your prayer requests, and if he doesn't, you're going to ditch him the, the, the second, something more attractive comes along. Jesus is just another dude in a line of really famous guys, if that's the case. However, if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the Messiah, if he's the anointed one, if he's the one blazing the trail, then we will too follow after him. Here's what's interesting about the journey. Is that Jesus, Jesus is asking the disciples... All right, so who do people say that I am? And he's asking the disciples, hey, who do you say that I am? And he's asking that question before the end of the story, before the end of the journey. 
And that's what faith is. Faith is one gigantic gap or chasm or space or void. Faith is having trust in something that you cannot prove or put your finger on. What Jesus is asking his disciples, what he's asking the crowds, what he's asking everyone is who do you say that I am before we understand of his death, his resurrection, and his defeat over sin and all kinds of things. And that's what faith is. A faith is stepping into a gap or stepping into a void or stepping into a chasm that is un or improvable. We think that faith is about surety. Faith is not. Faith is a belief that there was a guy about 2,000 years ago whom you've never seen or even heard of, that he was who he said he would be, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That takes faith. That takes you stepping into a chasm. And oftentimes, Jesus will ask faith statements of you along the way before all of the conclusions have come, before there's a bow on the package. He will ask you to step into that kind of recognition of who he is before you actually see all of the complete package. I wonder if you need to be corrected this morning, that you're just going to wait and see. I wonder if you're just going to wait and see how all things pan out before you put your trust in Jesus. That's not the faith journey. The faith journey is filled with steps of faith, places of chasms, places of an abyss where you're just not so sure, and yet you do it anyway. And so along the way, Jesus is going to probe your hearts and my hearts because the main question in the, in the gospel of Mark and the main question for you this morning is who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? That's the most important question that Mark asks. That's the most important question that you will be asked week in and week out. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because if Jesus is just a man, then continue to pursue man-centered things. But if Jesus is a Christ, it is time for us to reset our minds and to begin thinking on the things of God rather than the things of man. The things of God are not nice. The things of God are not easy. The things of God, the things that he say are the most beautiful, these are the things that are impossible. And the reason that they are impossible is because you need the risen Christ Jesus to give you the energy that you can to do these types of things. Who wants to deny themselves? No one. Who wants to lose themselves? No one. But welcome to the kingdom of God where denial and suffering and pain and, and, and picking up a cross, taking up your own cross, is the actual ingredients of the kingdom of God. Put your minds on the things of God, not the things of this world or the things of man. Instead of suffering, we prefer ease and comfort. Instead of taking up a cross, we make others bear it for us. Instead of he must suffer these things, we will try to get out, any, out of any kind of painful situation. Jesus is telling us to begin to think about these types of things, this denying of yourself, 
this taking of the cross, this following me, this understanding of suffering at a much higher level. Reset your mind on the things of God. The next nine weeks are meant to be combative, right? To purge your heart, to purge your mind of the things that have just really wrapped your heart to say these things are the most important. When in fact, the things of God, this, this, this trail or this path or this idea that this is what is beautiful and outstanding to God and calling to the crowd to him and with his disciples, he says this, these are the things of God. He says, if anyone, that's you, it's a full invitation to all of us, if anyone would come after me, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to know who the leader is and know that you are a follower. What does Jesus say to his first disciples? He says, drop your nets and he says, follow me. He's asking each of us to drop something of comfort, something that you know about and walk into a faith journey after a guy. And he says, this is where you're going to understand where full life is. If anyone would come after me, and this is where the hard things are, this is where the things of God are, the denial of self. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Who wants to lose their lives? No one. We are in a world that is entrenched on this idea of like the self-made man or woman. This idea that my productivity is all that matters. And so we are, we are known by our performance. We're known by what we're able to contribute to society. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to, if we're going to save our life, we're going to have to lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels. I've got these two phrases highlighted in my Bible. For my sake and for the gospel's sake. If there are two problems, there's two things that need to be corrected, it's this idea of who Jesus is and what the good news, what this gospel is. And it is not ironic that if you flip over to the very first verse of this, of this, of this book, Jesus says, and in the beginning is the good news, which is the gospel about Jesus Christ. From the first verse all the way here to the middle, the very center of the book, the same theme is being pushed. We have to be corrected in who Jesus is and what the gospel means to us. So throughout this next semester, we'll continue to, to correct our hearts, but correcting our minds on what we think about who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Jesus has some pretty harsh things to say to Peter, doesn't he? Like, get behind me, Satan. I think the point of the story is that if we're going to follow Jesus, no other path will do. If Jesus is truly the one that we're going to follow, that even a half-truth, truth, even a partial truth will not do. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus goes on to describe the Christ, and Peter could not handle it. 
You cannot be the one that is going to suffer. He could not handle it. So even a half-truth will truly get us in all kinds of trouble. And so we are to kind of change our minds, to reset our minds, to truly understand what it means for Jesus to be the Christ and the gospel. To get Jesus' kind of messianic, to get the Messiah wrong, is to truly get your discipleship wrong. To follow after just a half-truth of Jesus is truly to give away your life to something that is only half right. Jesus is begging for full Christ followers, for Jesus followers, and he knows what is at stake. The problem with you and I is that maybe we don't know what is at stake. Jesus tells us very plainly, what is at stake is either following Jesus or following Satan literally following the father of lives, the adversary. There are only two ways. And if we're going to be on the way with Jesus, we need to make sure that he is our leader and we are emulating our lives after him. The book of Mark is of one that is of great redemption because Jesus is exalted of, over all things. And then with that exaltation, he is then, he is then he, he submits himself even to the point of death. We will be exalted one day. One day, Jesus will come back and he will lift us all up and we will be fully saints. We'll be in his presence forever. But in the meantime, the call to you and I is to deny ourselves, to take up a cross, and to follow on the way of Jesus. Peter, did, he couldn't handle it. Because he knew that if this was the way of the Messiah, this would be the way of him. And he was waiting for the rain, and he was waiting, waiting for the exaltation. He could not handle the fact that what was going to be asked of Jesus was soon to be asked of him. So a little history. This book of Mark. Uh, history tells us that Mark was the scribe, and he's writing down all kinds of things. Uh, but Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples. So where did these, you know, 16 chapters come from? Where did all these words come from? Well, historians tell us, right, first century kind of church fathers tells us that sitting next to Mark was Peter himself. So the true author or the true kind of words of this book is not Mark. Mark is the scribe who's able to articulate and, and to put things together. But the actual source, the key source of this book was Peter himself. So get this. Peter writes this very embarrassing moment. He writes himself into the story where he looks the worst, where he looks the most foolish, where he is called out by Jesus himself. He says, I have to put this in the story. Jesus called me Satan once. And it was because I only understood half of what he had to say. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to follow him even unto death. I think we're using Jesus for what we get out of the equation or what we get out of the relationship. At the end of Peter's life, we find him crucified, upside down, both like but unlike his Savior. I wonder if you and I have taken those things seriously enough. 
Maybe we've just gotten into the habit of showing up on Sunday mornings or community groups. Maybe we're just into the habit of, of reading our Bibles and praying without realizing what Peter understood that day is that what Jesus is asking us is to lay down our lives, to truly put ourselves on the altar to be killed for the sake of Jesus. We need to reset our minds, but we need to be willing to be corrected. And so that's what I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Before I pray, I think it's good for you to do some some business with the Lord and simply ask, I am willing to be corrected. Are you willing this morning to be rebuked by Jesus in any like corner of your heart? And whatever the implications of Jesus Christ and this gospel is, I will follow Jesus no matter the cost. Jesus, I pray that you deal kindly with us in moments like this. But we're stepping into just this void of faith, believing that to save my life is truly the worst possible thing that I could do. Jesus, as we journey together on what it means to reset our minds, will you first and foremost just give us the heart and the attitude to be shaped and conformed to whatever you've asked us to? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for allowing us not just to step into abyss or a black hole without any kind of direction whatsoever. But Jesus, you are the one that we follow, and you are our leader. Help us to be good followers. Help our fellowship now. Help our discipleship now as we follow you. Give us the courage and give us the boldness and give us the, the authority to step into this life that you've called us to, this life of laying down our lives well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we, so we know that um, this is a life that was not just in a vacuum. And these are not just words that um, someone that, were, that was very articulate could use. But instead, these are words that Jesus truly meant because this is what he did for us. And so if anyone to, or to come after me, he must, you know, take up his cross and he must follow me. He must deny himself. And this is what Jesus did. If anyone is to save his life, you know, he'll lose it. But if anyone to lose his life, will save it. This morning, we want to worship Jesus who lost his life, who gave his life for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, scriptures tell us that he took a bread, a piece of loaf, a piece of of bread, a, a loaf, and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. 
he then takes a chalice of wine and he shares it with his disciples. And he says, this is the new covenant. This is, this covenant is for your forgiveness of sins. Before that is to happen, my blood has to be spilled. It has to be shed for you. And so in the broken piece of bread and in the shed blood of Jesus, these two pictures are pictures of what has to happen in our hearts and minds is we have to believe that he has blazed the trail for us. He will never ask of us what he first did not do for us. And that's why we worship. That's why we come to the table and we worship Jesus this morning. So throughout the, um, throughout the um, auditorium, there's these, these men. They're carrying uh, trays of, of both juice and bread. Uh, this is a time of communion uh, where we come together around the table. This is Jesus' table, and we exalt Jesus and saying, it's impossible for me to do this, but you did this for us. And in our hearts to worship Jesus for what he's done. And in a real way to get up out of our seats and to follow Jesus, even if it's 15, 15 steps to one of these stations. So there's these guys in the back that are ready to do that. Some of you, there's a chance that uh, the Lord has really been working on your heart and there's full confession that needs to come out of your heart. There may be fear in your heart of actually following Jesus. So we've got um, Bruce and Neji in the back here. So they're just in the, your far left-hand corner, my right-hand corner, and they're just there. And so if you're a female and want to pray with somewhere, someone, Miss Neji would be glad to pray for you if you're a guy. And uh, so we're all about to get up and kind of just kind of fill the room. And so hopefully we'll kind of take away the stigma. But we just, we, if you need prayer and you want someone to pray for you, these are members of our community care team that will take care of you in a really, really great way. So why don't you stand and we'll pray and then these stations will be open for you to partake in the Lord's Supper. Jesus, this is your table. And you tell us that every time we gather that it's a good idea for us to do this in remembrance of you for my sake and for the gospel and in remembrance of you, King Jesus. This table is not about me. It's about you. So allow us to be great followers of Jesus and praise your name together as we take communion as the body of Christ Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So feel free to take whenever, you're, whenever uh, you feel led. Uh, we're gonna be singing a couple of songs. Take all the time you need.